You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin. Hey everyone, it's Michael Jamin. Welcome back to another episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This. I'm here with Phil Hudson. Welcome, Phil. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Uh, today we're talking about the impending writer's strike. What are my thoughts about it? Maybe there won't be one. Or maybe when you're listening to this, there already is. Who knows? But as of today, when we record it, here's my thoughts. Because everyone wants to know what, what's going on. And uh, I, don't, I don't speak for the Writers Guild. I'm not. Uh, I'm a member, but I'm not on the board. So I'll just walk you through it. Uh, every three years, the contract that the Writers Guild has with the studios is up for renewal. And then we call it the MBA. And that determines- Minim minimum, minimum basic agreement, right? Minimum basic not, agreement. Not National Basketball Association, but the minimum basic agreement. Basketball. And so, but this, this covers things like, well, how much writers get paid for in health and pension contributions, how much writers get paid for minimum. So what a minimum script would be if you sell a script uh, for on a certain budget or on a TV show for hour long, whatever, those are minimums that, and which minimums are good. I know minimums sound like a bad thing, but minimums are a good thing. This is the least that they have to pay you. They probably have to, will pay you more, but this is the least. Um, and also, and also working conditions, salaries, all these things that come up. And every year, the studios, it's always contentious. Every three years, um, we have this negotiation. Uh, it, it, it's always contentious. It never, it doesn't always result in strikes. But uh, the last one was 2008. We went on strike, but every three years we have this. And um, the guild, uh, you know, guild's always trying to get more and the studio is usually trying to roll back. They call it rollback. They want to give you less. Now, every year the studios, they cry record profits. This is what they do. They tell record, they talk to their shareholders, they declare record profits because that's what the shareholders want to hear. And maybe it's true. But when they negotiate with the writers, suddenly I'm a little light today. Suddenly they don't have the, you know, they, they cry property. And it's not personal. It's just how, that's how they do. That's how business is done. It's just business. Yeah. So just a, just a note on this. And this is from Wikipedia. In the uh, 2008 strike, one of the things that was up for, for talk was DVD residuals. And in 2004, the New York Times reported companies made $4.8 in home video sales and only 1.78 billion in the box office at theaters. That's the difference. And- uh, They don't want to show the pies, but they don't, what it is. And, and there was no change. There was no change on that. We, that was removed from that strike. So we'll get to that. But. Basically, you'll, the narrative you'll probably hear with the studios, because the studios have big budgets. They'll, they'll, they'll promote this. And again, it's not personal, but they'll say, yeah, writers are being a little greedy. They're overreaching. They're being greedy. Now, here's the thing. No one becomes a screenwriter because they're motivated by money. If they if that were the case, they'd go into uh, they go become uh, well, they become lawyers, they become uh, whatever, they go some kind of CEO position. That that's they would go that path, the corporate path. If you wanted, if your riches, your you become a screenwriter because you want to live a creative life because you like creating. Hopefully, money will follow, but that's not why you go into it. You go into it because you just want to live a creative life, and the idea of sitting in a cubicle does not turn you on it just anything but that so the notion of you you can hear the idea of a um, we've heard those greedy ceos we've heard that expression we've heard those greedy politicians we've heard that we don't really hear those greedy artists you hear those starving artists that's something you hear starving artists because people are willing to sacrifice for their art 
And most screenwriters start off, as you know, Phil, struggling, hustling, barely getting by, doing whatever it takes to pay the bills so that they can break in so they can become a screenwriter. So we all, we all pay those dues. And so in exchange, we're not even asking for job security. We're asking for just some money so that we can live basically a middle-class life because that's what most screenwriters live. Now, I know, don't point to the the, the, more, the big showrunners who make billions and billions, don't point, or no, billions, but millions and millions. Don't point to them because the vast majority of screenwriters are just middle-class, people in the middle-class. They're just, you know, paying the bills and hopefully setting some aside, but they're not ultra-rich driving Ferraris. So, uh, the last writer strike was 2008, and that was so the writers wanted some. The guild was very forward looking, and the the guild said, "No, these writers." Um, uh, and and people often say, "Well, that's the one that killed the business." Yeah, well, the writers we had to go on strike on that. That was to cover uh, streaming. So something new thing called streaming, which no, we didn't even know what it was back then. There was still cable, and no one really understood what streaming was. And the guilds uh, uh, asserted that. It doesn't really matter how you broadcast this, whether you're going to put it on the air, whether you're going to put it on cable, whether you're going to put it over the internet. It doesn't really matter how you guys distribute the product. The writers still deserve to get paid for this product. And so the, the, the studio said, no, no, no. We went on strike. And in the end, the Writers Guild got jurisdiction over this thing called streaming. Had, it, had we not struck. New media is the, I think the contract term. Yeah. Had we not struck. Any show that would have been sold to Amazon or Netflix or whatever or HBO Max would have been, ah, eh, you're on your own. We're not paying. We're not paying you the rates that you guys should get paid. We're not paying you pension residuals. So this was a big strike. It was important. We went on strike about three months. We all carried picket signs. I lost a lot of money. I lost a lot of money on that. But you know what? I went in feeling well. It wasn't mine to begin with because. I got what I got on the backs of writers before before me who went on strike for me. So it's not wasn't mine anyway. But I did lose a lot of money. Uh, not angry with the guilt for that. It's just the way it goes. I'm angry at the studios, um, and I'm not even angry anymore. It's, it's life. It was never mine. Yeah. Do you, do you want to talk about the history of those, or do you want to keep going? I don't know. That's about that's about the history that I know. Uh, I don't I don't let, let know me, much. Let me just give everyone a quick summary of the previous writers guild strikes. So 1960. The Writers Guild went on strike for 146 days, and that was over broadcast royalties. So it was about not getting paid. 1981, they went on strike for three months. It was about residuals on pay TV and home video because VHS was a new thing. Cable was pay TV. It's about payment. 1989, uh, the longest strike in history was 153 days, and it was about residuals for hour-long and creative rights and cost cuts in other areas like producer demands. So again, about that. And then in 2007, 2008, it was 100 days, which is the second longest strike. Uh, excuse me, the third longest strike that's ever been there. So strikes have been longer, but it's all over st studios not wanting to pay writers. Yeah, and uh, you know it's cost cutting because they serve their masters. Like if this were a small business, I, this there would be no strikes because you're you always want to do your employees right, your contractors right, your vendors right because you don't want to. It costs a lot of money to train these people to get new ones. It's much more symbiotic. They do right by you. You do right by them. They do right by you. It's because I've owned, I've run a small business and you do as well. And so you bend over backwards to keep your employees happy because it's just that's just that's what businesses do. 
But when you become a big business, then you have to answer to the shareholders. And the shareholders only want one thing, record profits. That's all they really care about. And so the studios are doing things. That's their master is to ensure. And so at any cost. And so that's whatever. That's just the, that's life in modern day corporate America. Uh, again, not taking it personally, but that's why they're that's how their decisions are being made. Now, this strike is about. This is a big strike. I mean, I, I, I say strike. We're not on strike yet. I, I suspect one is coming. What happened is a couple of weeks ago, the WGA sent out a pattern of, of demands. They spent the whole previous year interviewing writers. What's important to you? Their membership. It's a small membership. We're talking about, I don't know, five, 6,000 people, whatever it is. Uh, it's a small membership of people in the Writers Guild. What, what's important to you? And and we filled out surveys. They 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 uh, added up our, our how much money we made, and they did a lot of facts and figures. And this thing, okay, this is what we came back. This is what we think is important to you. This that became the pattern of demand. Pattern of demands. What they want us to negotiate for. Now the reality is, writers today, uh, today this year are making four percent less money than they did ten years ago. Four percent dip in terms of overall salaries, the pet, you know, than we did it 10 years ago, but that's not adjusted. That's not, you never want to go make less. That's 4% less, but adjusted for inflation, it's actually 22% less. So yeah. you're making a quarter less of what your salary is. That's, that's a big deal. Um, and, and so they, they, you know, they're all, we all know this, it's not a big secret. So the guild put out a pattern of demands asking the membership, do you guys, agree with this pattern. This is what we're going to ask for. Do you agree with this? And we all voted, or most of us voted. And this year we came back with 98.4% uh, of the guild membership. You're talking about 5,500 people voted yes for this pattern or demands, which is crazy. If you asked people to vote, you know, does the sun rise in the east? You wouldn't get 98.4% agreement people there'd be a lot of people say no it doesn't the world the world is flat so uh the fact that we 98.4 percent agreed in this pattern is pattern of demands is crazy for comparison in 2020 only 90.7 percent agreed with the pattern of demands so this is a big deal we all feel this is a problem all the membership feels is a problem they go negotiating they begin negotiating with the with the uh the producers the studios and how it usually goes is the guild asks for more and the studio asks for rollbacks. They ask for less. That's just how it goes. And hopefully you get some common ground. It doesn't look like we're getting, it, it looks like the guild is asking for a lot. We're asking for a lot. We really are because it's kind of, um, it, we're gotten to a point where because of streaming, writers are not unemployed. Writers are underemployed, which I think in a way is a more dangerous situation than being under uh, unemployed. Because in the past, you might go on a strike and the studio would say, Listen, you guys go on strike and um, and uh, you might be out of work for a half a year or whatever. But now, if a writer is already out of work for three to six to nine months, what difference does it make? You've already backed me in the corner. I don't care if I go on strike. I'm already not working. This is what the average writer is saying. I'm already not working. What difference does a strike make? Mm. And the reason why writers, I feel, again, I don't speak for the guild, I speak for myself, but this is how I see it. The reason why writers are underemployed is because the business model has changed so much in the past 10 years. 
when I broke into the business, this is a long time ago, but you had four networks basically, and you do a hit show and you'd work, you basically work, you get, most writers get paid per episode produced and you'd work basically 10 months out of the year. And then you take a short hiatus, go back to work. Great. Everyone's happy. But that's because you're doing 22 episodes a year. Now on a hit show, now you might be on a hit show. And because it's on streaming, you're only going to do eight, maybe 10 episodes a year, a season. That's a huge hit. Making matters worse, studios are cutting back on budgets. They're not cutting back necessarily on the budgets of the show. They're cutting back on the budgets of the writing staff. And so, because the shows still have big budgets, production budgets. And so the writing staff, which was, it used to be maybe 10 writers, now might be down to six. And those six writers are not going to work for the entire production of the show, which is what it used to be. Now you're only going to work for in pre-production, which means you may, let's say you're doing 13 episodes a season. You may only be hired for three months out of the year and you're on a hit show. Yeah. It's 10, 10 to 12 weeks or something like that is what I've seen. So Frey, if you're doing 12 weeks of work a year on a hit show, that's not enough to get by. And you could say, well, why don't you, yeah, but you can get on another show. But it's not so easy. The, the stars have to align. You have to be in strong demand. The schedules have to overlap, not, not overlap. It's not so easy. What you can do is supplement your income, hopefully by selling a pilot. But again, selling a pilot is no, it's not easy. Like I, my partner, we sold probably a dozen pilots, but we've not sold many, many more. And so what I feel the position is you have a lot of writers who are in the business, they're working, but underemployed. And so that's a powder keg. So it's basically saying, screw it. And now many people are going to say, well, you guys need better negotiators. Look, I'm actually a big fan of the Writers Guild leadership. I think they, they're they very communicative. They really keep you involved. They tell you what's going on. They explain to you their thinking. It's a democracy. But the truth is, it's like you're only, you don't have any leverage. The only leverage the Writers Guild has is strike. It's not like you could do, I'll pull out their levers. You say, no, this is, we're either going to take the deal or not take the deal. There's nothing else you can do to negotiate. You have nothing else to offer. You can, you can walk. And I know many people, other people in the industry, in other guilds, other unions, they tend to think that the writers, many people think the writers are the bad guys. When you writers go on strike, I'm out of work. Yeah, I, I, I know that, right? It's it's hard. It's hard for everybody. But there's no writer, like no writer has to take a job that they don't want to take. I mean, nor do you have to take a job that you don't want to take. No one's forcing you to work. If you If you decide you need to go on strike, go on strike. Do it if you and, and we almost did. We almost did uh, like a year or so ago with IATI. IATI almost did a strike. The problem with IATI, IATI represents many of the other trades in you know uh, in the industry: hair, makeup, script wardrobe, coordinators. W so writers assistants and script coordinators are both under IATI. Writers says, but the problem with IATI, which is a huge, has a huge membership, probably ten times what the Writers Guild has. So you would think, well, they're ten times as strong, right? No. But because everyone has a di what the script writer, script coordinator wants and what the hair and makeup, what they want are completely different things. So to get them to agree, that's why they don't tend to go on strike because their unership, their, uh, their, uh, their membership is fractured in that, in that respect. They don't agree on what they all want because they're so, their trades are so diverse. And so that's why they're not going on strike. 
that's why they're taking crappy deals because they can't go on strike because their membership is too big. Yeah. 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 This, um, this brings up a really important topic of collective bargaining. And I think there's a lot of politicism about what is a union and what is a guild and what are, whether they're valuable or whether they hurt the economy. Ultimately, even on the far right side of things there in the business books, many people, including this famous author, Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote, um, rich dad, poor dad, he says in there, if you, he doesn't recommend specializing, but if you are specialized, you have to join a union because they are the only thing that will protect you in the future. Right. And it's to your point, the writer's guild exists because there were abuses that took ma like major damage to writers down to producers giving their girlfriends writing credit over the guy who wrote the script because he wanted to make her happy, like things like that. And the WGA has prevented a lot of those things. So, And the, the, the WGA helps not just the writers, but the writers, aspiring writers who are not in the guild, because let's say you sell, you're brand new out of the gate and you sell your movie, right? You know, you sold a movie to someone. Everyone knows you'll give your left arm to get this movie sold. You'll sell it for a dollar. Right. Because you're so excited and desperate to break in. The Writers Guild steps and says, no, 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 no. You have to pay this person, even though they're not in the guild. You got to pay them Writers Guild minimum, which whatever it is, maybe 50,000. Who knows what it is? But it's there to protect even people who are not in the guild. And it protects the people in the guild so that the people in the guild are not undersold. Because we know in this business, everyone is that will love. It's a passion. So people we're not pursuing the money. We'll do it for less because we like doing it. And that eventually that's a race to the bottom. And so it's really there to protect everybody because, and at the end of the day, you do want a healthy pool of writers to work with on your future project. Like you don't want to create a situation for this. I don't think the studios, they don't want to create a situation where writers can no longer afford to write because then you're going to lose all your talent. Now, why are they doing this then? Well, why are we, why are we, why are we the world? creating greenhouse gases, which are going to kill us all. Why? Because we're freaking idiots. That's why, because we don't know it's in our own, we know it's in our own best interest, but we can't seem to get our ass together to do it because short on the short term, it's actually, it's, it's more advantageous to, to burn fossil fuels and the long term is going to kill us. So uh, it's the same thing with the studios. They, I feel like they're, they're, they're just setting themselves up for their own destruction. You want a healthy pool of talented writers who can afford to make a living. You don't want to get rid of those people. And publicly traded companies make quarterly uh, earnings calls to their people, to the to their investors, and they have to show those. So they're literally thinking about the next three months, not 10 years down the road. Yeah. Yeah, which is why oftentimes when new CEOs in, in any of these studios or companies come in, they will they will cut whatever the previous CEO was doing or the previous executive was doing, even if it's a good thing, because they want to make themselves look good to keep their job in that high paying position. That's just, that's a, that's a standard practice in, in the business industry. Yeah. And in what world do you hear again, those greedy artists? Yeah. That, that does, that's a phrase that doesn't exist in the in, in reality. So uh, what will happen? I, I predict the writers guild will ask the, their membership to go on strike. And we, and I, be, I believe we will, because I don't see what we're asking for is such a dramatic, a dramatic shift in how we are compensated because their business models changing with streaming. I understand that. Uh, but, but they, but they're squeezing the middle-class writers so hard in their, in their pursuit of profit that uh, you don't want to make, you know, 
you're, you're backing the writers in a corner, I believe. I believe so. Yeah. D- despite the fact that everything's cheaper to make because you're shooting everything digitally, there's no film costs, there's no film processing costs. There's your ads are digital. Yeah, their ads are digital. They're not print. You're not. That's another thing. When writers used to get a really healthy residual on VHS, and then, but these VHS tapes were big bricks and a lot of move, literally moving parts and tapes and gears, literally gears inside. They cost money to assemble. Then, when DVDs became a thing, the studio said, well, "No, no, no. We want to pay you writers less on residuals for these DVDs because it's a new technology. Never mind the fact that the new technology cost a fraction to make." Because yeah. there were no gears, it was just a digital stamp, and it was so e- they're so light. There was no shipping costs. They were so small. There was barely any shipping costs, and they were so inexpensive that they had to literally package these things in giant packages because people would shoplift them because of there was there were nothing. They were they were that easy to steal, so they had to make giant boxes for them so they make it harder to steal because the production costs were were so so low. And so they tried lowering, and they did. They rolled back how much writers made on DVD which was painful. It was very painful, despite the fact that it was and, a cheaper and superior product. And that was something that was in the 2007-2008 strike that um, you was pulled back and not pursued to try to get through that strike. So nothing changed, despite that being there. Even oh, though it was, oh, oh. We were, we'll fight for another day, was with how the writers go, because you can't win every fight. Yeah. And then... And they, you know, they, I think they may have promised, oh, we'll get, we'll make it up to you next time. No, they didn't make up next time. And then came streaming and now streaming costs less to, to, to rerun than, than DVDs. Cause there's literally no manufacturing costs. You're just sending a digital product through the internet. Where's the cost. Right. And, but they, yeah. they, they, they're claiming it's, it's new. We don't know how to do this. So you're, we're going to have to uh, try, you know, th- the way I see it, that's a you problem, not a me problem. That's a you problem. Yeah. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watch list. So... One of the questions that came up for me during the IATSE stuff, when, when everyone was kind of backing IATSE and the decisions they were making, I was in the production side at the time. So I was hearing the producers and the conversations on that side about we're not sure what's going to happen, depending on if they strike, we might have to shut down production and the costs will kind of explode for us and all those things. But the, the crew, um, I remember people saying, just remember that if you are not in the guild or you're not in the union and you take a job during this, you're a scab and we'll know who you are. Right. And I, that really bothered me because my thought was, well, I'm not in your guild. And, and again, I have no dog in the fight. I don't want to be in that, that union. I, I don't, I don't want to be a part of it. That's not something I'm pursuing, but it just, a, a, from a theoretical perspective, it bothered me because it was like, well, I don't currently get any benefits of being in your union. I'm not in your union. I don't, can't get into your union. I'm not able to even get the job to start getting in your union because it's about who you know. And here you are, you're attacking someone who wants to take an opportunity to get in that union. And you're saying you will hold them accountable for years to come because there'll be a time and a date stamp when they got in the union and it'll be during this strike. So it bothered me. And they said, yes, but what they don't understand is that we are fighting for their future. And that changed my mind because to the same point as the WGA, 
if I get in at an opportunity when I can, I am undermining the union I will want to join that will protect me in the future. And that's the problem with it. So from your perspective, and obviously they would have to completely breach with their entire contract with the WGA and undermine a lot of the things, but for a writer to take an opportunity during a strike to sell a script to a company, do you think that's something a new writer should do? Absolutely not for reasons why you said, but also I don't think those opportunities will even be available because no one wants to make a TV show. No one's going to spend $2 million on an episode on a TV show and give it to a writer who's never done it before. They, they, you know, they, you, you, you want to pay, you want, this is how you protect your asset is by having people who know what they're doing. Which is why, which is why the contract exists is because they know the best way for us to be profitable is to work with these people who vet and have standards for what it means to be a good writer. Yeah. Experience. And, and we're willing to pay the person and there's a path for those people who are good enough that we want them in. We will, we will hire them and then we will start paying the residuals and all the other things that we have to do for those people. When you're on your points to join the WG to join the WGA, but that's not going to happen to your point at a time when, and, and to your, and, and to your point, Michael, what I'm hearing on the other side, not in the WGA is that the studios are sandbagging scripts. They're buying up everything they can and not starting production right now because all of the people I know who it's like, it's a kind of a ghost town right now where people are not working because the producers are saying, we're just going to wait to start production until the strike happens. If they strike, well, we've got all of these scripts that we're sitting on that we'll just put into production, which will hold us out for a year. And then we'll deal with that problem later. So they're just not doing anything. And that is a tricky situation too. If they decide to put some in production, then I'm not sure if the Writers Guild says you are allowed to oversee the production of your show. You may be, you may be allowed to, but you can't do any right. writing responsibilities. Because, because that's a producer, that's a producer responsibility. And so there's that, I think you can get away with that, but you can't lift a pencil. You could just, you could be on set and you can make suggestions and answer questions, but you can't lift a pencil. That was a big, big deal. And I can't remember. I want to say it might've been um, Vince Gilligan when he was writing, um, you know, Breaking Bad has a really short first season because it was, he was writing it when the strike happened. And he said like 6 PM or whatever it was that night, he had to hit send on an email. And that was the last writing he could do on his show. And then it went off to production. And that's what they got. I so. do know some, you know, I have heard stories of other showrunners, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, kind of being jerks about the whole thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not that way. I really, I really respect the fact that what I've gotten came on the backs of writers who sacrificed before me. I truly believe that. I know some people higher up writers or even young writers do not feel that way. I do. I guess I, I have a strong, and this, it's not necessarily a good thing, but I, I, uh, I really, I really have a strong feel of social justice. Like I don't like when people steal, I don't like people when people bend the rules for their own. So I, like, I really feel like I, I get indignant over that. I'm like, no man, you know, yeah. it's cutting, I call them cutters. We all learned this is a line you got in line. This is your spot. And when someone cuts in front of you, it should make you mad. That is the most American thing is that we're all here working together and you don't get to get ahead of me because you pushed your way in. Sorry, get in the back of the line. And everyone should get mad at a cutter and everyone should put them in the back of the line because it's not fair to everybody else. Yeah, yeah. 
Some people just don't. Some people are like, ah, well, they want it more, whatever. But I, I, I'm not too worried about scabs. I don't, I really don't. I really think, like, if I imagine if I had scabbed, I, I, I wouldn't have known what to do. I would have been, it was terrible. I was terrible for the first several years of my career, not as a scab, as just as a regular writer. So, like, the idea of me getting my show, are you nuts? It's just like, yeah, I'm not too worried about that. But I know it puts a hardship on people. I know it puts a hardship on people in other guilds and other unions who, and I, yeah. like I said, many of them blame the Writers Guild. But the truth is, it's because the Writers Guild, probably the strongest of the guild, because we're the most united. And it's because we all want the same thing. And the, in the past, in the past, there was some division with writers. There was the feature writers one thing and the TV writers one another. And so sometimes we would argue over what we wanted in those contract negotiations because teacher, TV writers want one thing and feature writers want another thing. But now with almost all that work moving to television, there are very few feature writers or exclusively feature writers. So now it's like, eh, we're all, it's made us more unified because we all yeah. want the same thing. For, for anyone who wants like a historical perspective on this, there's a modern classic called What Makes Sammy Run by Bud Schulberg. And it is fascinating. And it, it talks about, you know, effectively scabs or people who will throw people under the bus to get ahead. It's Sammy Glicks of, of the world. Um, and it's fascinating. And it kind of sets around kind of the formation of the first Writers Guild and its failure and then moving into, you know, what a, the foundation of a Writers Guild to kind of prevent some stuff. A really fascinating historical view from the son of someone who was a founder of one of these first major motion picture studios who worked with the Selznicks and the great people uh, of their time. This is maybe maybe eight or 10 years ago, whatever, I, I, ha, I had lunch with the Italian Writers Guild was trying to, in Italy, they were trying to make their own Writers Guild. They didn't have a Writers Guild. And so they came here to, they met with their guild leaders here. How do we do this? How do we start a guild? How do we, to protect our membership? And I had lunch with them and we were talking about stuff. And they, they definitely, they want that because they want the protections that we all get in America with health, pension, you know, minimums and stuff like that. And they're like, how do we do that? It's, it's a valuable, it's like, it's, you know, like this is how we get to live is, you know, with our insurance and contributions and all those residuals help writers get through the lean times because it's not like a job. This is not a job where you have any security. Your show gets canceled. You're out of work. You're out of work for how long, as long as it takes you to get another job, who knows? And the residuals help you to carry through those lean times. And like I said, there's no job security, and that's what we're we're willing to accept that, but we're not willing to accept, uh, you know, creating a situation where we can't make money. That's crazy. We gotta, you know, we gotta be able to make money. So yeah, yeah. The 2007 to 2008 writer strike, uh, NPR reported a 1.5 billion dollar economic impact over those 100 days in the Los Angeles area, and another economist put it higher, but but they think it's interesting how the spin is that's the writer's fault. Yeah, really. you're right. It's the writer's fault because they went on strike. Why is it not the studio's fault for not offering a fair deal? And in the end, they offered a, a fair enough deal. Not still, as far as I'm the writer's concerned, not fair enough. But, but yeah. you know what? I, I don't understand. Look, just look at the cars in the driveways, and you'll see who's making more. Who's making and the, and the driveways that the cars are in too. By the right, way, right, right. I don't live in a mansion. Uh, on it. I, I've been to I've been to Michael's house. It's a nice house, but it's not a mansion, right? And. And you've made it a house. You've you've made that house in that neighborhood nice, not necessarily the other way around. One of your stories in uh, Paper Orchestra is about the the hoarder who lived in your neighborhood. Yeah, I don't. My two two houses down, we had a hoarder. So it's, you know, yeah, yeah. that's a funny story. Yeah. 
Well, I've got a couple questions from a pre pre WGA. Those of us who want to support recognize the value of the guild and and don't want to be scabs or don't want to. And, and you know, scabs a harsh word. I, I don't know that I st- still care for that. But people who are going to take advantage of the opportunity to get ahead. Um, Such a dumb thing to do. And here's how you here's how you really can. If you're smart, this is what you do. This is leading into my question. This is leading into my question. I guarantee it. Yeah. Don't even think about scanning because the the person who's going to hire you for a show or uh, to write on a show is going to be a showrunner. This is what you do. Don't think about scanning. Go to wherever the picket lines are going to be. And they're all, always outside the major studios. Warner Brothers. You know? Boom. If I could drop this mic, I would. That's exactly what I was going to ask. That's what you're going to say. You pick up a sign. They give, a, they give away signs, you know, picket signs. And you, you, you carry one and you start picketing with the writers who are online and you just start talking to them as a and friendly and people they'll say, Oh, are you, what show do you work on? And you say, no, I'm not working on a show. I, I aspire to be a writer. And I guarantee you, whoever you're talking to is going to be grateful. You're carrying a sign. And because they have nothing other to, they have nothing else to do other than pick it for three hours. They will talk to you because there's nothing else to do. And so now like talk about a networking event, Go there, pick up a sign, and talk to everyone online. There's, they have nothing else to do than talk. Yeah. So one step beyond this, and we talk about him all the time, but he's, he's a fascinating case study and someone who's put in the work. Dave Crossman he shoots me an email. Hey, Phil, I'm hearing a lot of stuff about the writer's strike. I want to pick your brain about how to support. He lives in Seattle. I've already talked to about seven coffee cart companies who will show up and give away free coffee to people on it, and I want to talk to you about what I can do uh, to structure a GoFundMe to fund that. That dude doesn't even live here. He can't be on the lines to pick it. And he's the one. I've already talked to someone else who's a showrunner, and they'll, they've connected me with some of the strike, what are they, strike captains? I think that that's the term uh, from last year about where they might be to do the strikes. I mean, that dude's putting in the work. He doesn't even live in Hollywood. For those of you who want to know how his job requires him to be out of state, those of you want to know how to make it not live in Hollywood, that's an example of a guy making it happen. He's ambitious. That guy hustles. But uh, but 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 that's exactly it. Like the people who are going to hire you are the writers. They're not going to be the studio executives <laughs> pouring hot oil on you. <laughs> so yeah. don't even, don't even think about picking. If you want to break in, this is a great opportunity just to talk to the people and hear their stories. I, uh, I you know I've met I've met so many writers on the last strike. I remember. God, I became friends with this guy named Frank Renzulmi, who was a writer on Sopranos first season. And I love Sopranos. I'm like, yeah, and, and this is the guy who I met on the line. And we became friendly. And I would just hear his stories of writing. Like, that's cool. I was just I was just interested in hearing his his story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're in the foxhole. That's you're 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 in a war with those people, and it's a war over your livelihood, which is your wage. I talked to other feature writers who wrote movies that I really enjoyed. Uh, Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandela talked to them on the line and like, hey, like talk about a freaking talk about a treasure trove of, of if you're an aspiring writer, come on down. If we're on strike, yeah. you got, we got nothing to do, but talk to you. Yeah. So show up and support. That's the answer. Um, Cause so many people say, Hey, I want, can I take care for coffee? Like, listen, dude, my time is worth more than $5 an hour, you know, but, uh, but on a, on a picket line, you don't even have to buy any coffee. Yeah. I think that's some really valuable insight. Is there anything else that you think uh, those of us who want to be in the WGA can do to support other than show up and, and strike? 
Uh, you know, there, there, that's probably it. There's going to be, you'll go on websites like Deadline or whatever, and there'll always be trolls and people saying, again, greedy, those greedy writers. And I, I'm like, ay, 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 those greedy artists. So, you know, you could, you could leave kind comments and, or, or, or take on the trolls. That's something you could do. There's always going to be misinformation. Yeah, uh, I, many we are during the last strike. We suspected many of them were being paid by the studios because some of the things we were saying, like who would think, who would say such a thing? It's where it's where Russia got the idea in the presidential elections is from the studios. It's not it's not even personal. I and I I, I like many of the people who work at studios. It was, you know, it's not like I have a I'm angry at them. Uh, this is all coming from their their corporate overlords. I get it. It's not personal. It's just business. So yeah, yeah. Okay. So show up get the work done. Um, you can't be online, spread the word that way. Um, awesome. Anything else you want to add on the subject of writer strikes, Michael? I don't know. I'll probably add, and again, and a strike hasn't been authorized yet. Uh, they will probably ask us in a couple of weeks to authorize a strike vote. Let's talk about that. Cause I don't think you hit that. Right. But that's an important first step. The next step will be negotiation. We'll get a letter saying, the negotiations aren't going well. We're not anywhere near. We need to authorize a strike vote, which is basically you're threatening, hey, we'll go on strike if you don't give us what you're, because the guild hasn't, the membership hasn't said that yet. It hasn't agreed to that yet. And so the last time, uh, this is 2008, we authorized, or maybe there was one before that. I, I, we just, we just authorized, you just authorized in 2020. There was an authorization. And you got to, and that, that you're basically putting the, the cannon and the cannonball into the cannon. You're saying we're about to blow this fuse up or, you know, it's not, it's, you can't bluff. You cannot bluff. And so, like I said, you only have two tools in the toolbox, which is strike or threat of strike. And you don't really, you don't really have threat of strike. Yeah. Got it. Um, awesome. Well, I did see someone else saying that, and I'm sure, I don't know that there's other WGA members who listen to your podcast, but there was somebody who said, even if you don't agree with the strike, you should vote to authorize because the higher the number, the stronger signal it sends that we are willing. And I think that's part of being a team player too. Like there are a lot of times you don't feel or agree with the way something your, your partnership, your relationship or your business partners want to do something. doesn't mean you have to be 100% aligned as long as you're aligned in the intention as you're moving forward. And, and that's what that is, is you're saying. I'm sure there'll be a strong turnout. And I'm sure everyone will be authorized because it's like, you got to do it. You're what you're in for, in for a penny and for a pound. You got to do it. There are some writers during the last strike who kind of went, uh, you know, basically were kind of, I don't know there. You could tell they were against the leadership and I was like, just keep it to yourself. That's not helpful now. Yeah. Keep it now. Sure. We're in. Shut up until we're out, because there's no sense undermining each other. I know it's hard. It's hard for all of us. Not yeah, all of us. So shut that kind of that kind of happened when the WGA said, "Hey, you got to fire your agents," right? That just happened a couple of years ago. Yeah, and that was another thing. That was sorry, you know. This is all. It, it, and again, we wouldn't have gotten any of this were it not for people who fought before us. So. If there were no guild, this would be dog eat dog, and none of us would have any work. We'd be working, we'd be making scraps. So, yeah, yeah, that's hard. That's hard stuff. Just one anecdote on that: there was a writer when the the WGA said fire your agents. He said, "My agent was the best man at my wedding. He's the godfather to my children. He's been my agent my whole career, and I had to fire him. And I had to say this is nothing personal. And he understood. It sucked. It still sucked to do because it's a personal family friend now and." It is what it is. I got bad news. That agent would have stabbed me in the back in a minute. 
<laughs> it would have dropped him. Would have dropped him like a hot fly. That agent would have said, "I know I was the best man in your wedding, but we're making changes here. I have to let you go." I guarantee the agent would have said that. It's it goes both ways. It goes both. It's the ways. business side of things. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, that's uh, that's a, the great insight as to what's coming up. For any other questions, I mean, leave them in the comments on YouTube where you're watching this, or on Michael's site, and uh, we'll hop in and try to answer those. There are a lot of other things. Right, but we'll see. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Phil. There, there, are, there are a lot of other things too. Um, you know, we talk about them in every podcast, but for those of you who are new, there are a lot of resources that Michael has. One of the most recent changes is you've started doing these webinars. And we've talked about that on a few episodes, but the webinar is a, a monthly webinar talking, taking a different approach on a different topic. Uh, four things you need to know to become a professional writer, how to write a great story, um, how to move, how to move, a break, how to break into the industry might've been one of the topics. Um, we've got a bunch of those different things coming up. And so if you want to attend a webinar with Michael, he spends an hour teaching you some really important stuff. I think you often give away a free license to your course so people can get into that. Uh, and you're also giving away, uh, eBooks. Um, you got little guides you're giving away now too to everybody who attends. So no matter what you're going to win. If you show up, here's the thing. If you show up live, we give you a special present, a special download book, as well as a chance to win the course. And if you miss it, we send you the free replay. You can watch for like 24 hours. If you miss it after that, then it'll be available on the website for a small fee. Uh, but if you tune in, you get, it's all, it's, it's free. If you tune in, you yeah. get all this stuff. And let actually, we, we're doing this a lot. Uh, you get a day. Everyone who tunes in will get a discounted price if you decide to take the course, which is yeah. our, our basically our Black Friday that we're saying, Phil. Yeah, it's like it's like the best deal you ever give. It's the cheapest you've ever offered the course for those who are interested, and it kind of generally kicks off when the course is uh, open anyway. So if you're interested, you should attend the webinar. You might get a better deal. That's what you should do. But you can sign up at michaeljammin.com/webinar. That's where you can go to get on that. Uh, beyond that, you got a lot of other things. You got the watch list, which is the weekly newsletter with your top three piece of advice at michaeljammin.com slash watch list. There's the free lesson, which is the first lesson from your course. So it's michaeljammin.com slash free. Uh, paper orchestra for people interested in your book of essays, which you're, you're working on volume two, right? Uh, but Yeah, started writing that. And an essay yeah. sounds boring, but, the, but these are stories and they're, they're fun stories and I perform them. And if you want to see me tour or you want to just get the book or the ebook, which we're producing now, it's just on, I was just having a chat with the, uh, our, our composer, um, Anthony Rizzo. You can go to michaeljammin.com slash upcoming for information for when I get to your city or for when the book drops. Yeah. Outside of that, your social media at Michael Jammin Writer, lots of free nuggets and great information to give out every day. Have you missed it? Have you missed a day? Uh, no, I, I post on, on social media. Yeah. Try to post every day. Sometimes I give myself a break on a Saturday or a Sunday, but yeah, I'm, I'm on it all the time. So I'm, cause and if I do, then I post twice a day, you know, so I'm, I'm put, I'm putting a lot out there and the, the more I get a lot of, um, I, I'm trying not to repeat, which is interesting. I'm not repeating a lot as much as yeah. I thought, which is like, people ask me questions like, well, it's, I've already answered. I want to see if I can find something new. Uh, okay. I, at some point I'll have to start repeating myself, but right now it's like, there's, uh, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of new stuff from adding. Yeah. You can go, you can pop a great question into one of those comment fields there too. Um, on one of those videos, make it related to that topic. So you can help people out and probably show up in a video with you. That's pretty cool. Um, awesome. I think that's uh, kind of it. Um, anything else you want to add? That's it, everyone. Thank you so much for listening till next time. What's our catchphrase, Phil? Keep writing. Keep writing. Keep writing.
Okay. Thank you. Bye. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin and Phil Hudson. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Michael Jamin Writer. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.